This is the Decibel Geek Podcast with Aaron Camaro and Chris Sinzak. Alright, it's that all-important time once again. Oh yeah, Decibel Geek Podcast time. I'm Aaron Camaro, joined as always by Chris Sinzak, and we are back in the now. Back to today. Back from 1984. What a fun couple of weeks it's been doing that, and we've got some great response from it. Yeah, we did. And, you know, we always love doing those 19, those, not 1984 years in mm-hmm. review, but all the years in reviews that we do. They're a lot of fun to do, and they always get a good response, and uh, they are a lot of work, so... It'll be a little while before we do it. We got we have a whole month of kiss to to do. Yeah, as if you know, we were saying there's so much work that goes into those years in review. You know, as if that's not enough, we are on the cusp yes. of Christmas in July. Yes, when this is released is the day before Christmas in July starts. So the first actual official episode will be next week, the seventh, yeah. and we have a very special guest that was kind enough to come over and had some really enlightening stories about some really the early great and the high stories. high points of the band. Yeah. yeah. So um. And uh, those of you that have seen the artwork already in the title of the show, this is the Anthrax Discussion Part 1. And don't freak out, KISS fans. We're not going to put Christmas in July <laughs> off. Or it's going to be a nice bookend, you know, something for you guys. we got to do something heavy leading into Christmas in July because we know there's one or two people out there that are listeners of the show regularly that maybe aren't the biggest KISS fans. There's one or two of them out there. We'll admit it. And so for those just couple of fine people, we're going to give them something heavy today, some good discussion on a metal band like Anthrax, and then for them, something to look forward to next month, we'll come back with part two. Yeah, because I was initially going to try to, and we have a special guest host on this this week, talking about Victor M. Ruiz from Mars Attacks and also the Talking Metal podcast. Yeah, we went to an expert. Yeah, he's a huge Anthrax fan. He's from the New York, New Jersey area. He, He knows his stuff. And this has been uh, almost three years in the making. Cause <laughs> That's years no ag- joke. Years ago, during just a casual conversation, I was like, hey, you're a big Anthrax fan. We love Anthrax. We should have you on to do an Anthrax discussion. And it turned into a long-running joke. Because mm-hmm. every time we thought we would get it set up, something would come up and, and hijack the idea. And uh, it, this one, even doing this, got put off twice. You know, Three weeks, times. Yeah, three times in the weeks leading up to it due to sickness or obligations with other stuff. And uh, but we finally got it done, and it's a huge conversation. I was going to try to whittle it down to one, and then I was like listening back to it during doing the edit, and I'm like, "There's too much good stuff to cut all this out." Yeah. And we're all three huge fans, so we had a lot to discuss about, and we like a lot of the whole eras of the band. So we made the decision we'll do this into two parts, and part one is today, where we discuss the Neil Turbin slash Joey Belladonna era of the band, basically '81 through '92. Yes. And. At the beginning of August, you'll hear from 92 onward to today. Right. So lots and lots to talk about. So I guess before we get to all that, we should probably go ahead and give credit to our marketing team. Yes, this time for the Geeks of the Week, and I've just condensed it into one whole long list here. But those of you that have shared it on Facebook and retweeted it on Twitter, here's how it works. If you've never listened to the show, I will put out the link on the Facebook fan, fan page, facebook.com slash decibelgeek, for this week's episode. What happens is you share or retweet that link and I will see it, and I will mention your name on the show next week. You guys are our marketing team. This is how the word gets spread, and it has worked wonders for the show. It's just that easy. So, Mr. Sinzak, deep breath. <laughs> Here we go. Geeks of the Week this week. Wayne Newburn, Robert Foster, Jason Thomas Broderick, Joe Lascon, Wally Norton, Ben Mitchell, Andrew Jacobs, Scott Yeager, Heavy Rock, Jimmy Mercer, Cal Hens, Paul Korn, Robert DePasqua, Billy Hardaway. <laughs> Brad Kalmanson, I Am Hoops, P.J. Brown, Chuck Spear, Lee Maslin of the Audio Junkies podcast, Justin Hayes, Brent Walter, Matt Severson of the Paperback Rocker podcast, <laughs> Mike Stewart, Joe Royland of Sit and Spin with Joe, George Savastano, Pot of Thunder, Daryl Albert, Derek Novak, Helix, The Band, Nice, Hard Rock Dad, and Music Mags and Wax. Everybody digging the 1984 year in reviews. Lots of fun on that one. Uh, people really enjoyed uh, all the pop culture, the classic commercials, and, of course, all the great songs we played. Heck, yeah, 84 was a great year for that. Yeah, so, uh, and we, as we alluded to in the 84 part one, uh, you know, Anthrax released their first official album in 84. It's a great tie-in for this week. Yeah, and we'll get to that here in just a second. So we got anything we want to discuss before we go into the conversation with Victor? I don't know, man. There's so much there with Victor, and it was so much fun. I think we better just get on to it. Here we go. This is our talk with Victor on Anthrax Discussion Part 1.
So, well, with Anthrax, how far back do you go with your fandom? When did you get into them? Uh, I can honestly say this, and you guys will appreciate this for two different reasons. Aaron will appreciate this from the wrestling standpoint. <laughs> And you, Chris, will also appreciate this from the music standpoint. Uh, my next-door neighbor growing up in New Jersey since about 1986 um, was actually someone that, um, that, that is a second cousin of mine. And uh, there was a certain promo that someone cut, uh, a musical artist who you guys have had plenty of uh, tie-ins with and guests recently. Um, he was going out to a company, one Jake the Snake Roberts, to the ring, and ah. that person's name is Alice, Alice Cooper. Cooper. No kidding. Yep. And yeah, and when he did the promo, he mentioned, and I don't remember who Jake's opponent was, but he said something along the lines of that Jake's DDT was going to decimate his opponent more than Megadeth would or an attack by the band Anthrax. Nice. <laughs> so my next door neighbor being the wrestling junkie that I was, the first thing he went out and got was Megadeth's Peace Cells, and I instantly copied that. And shortly after that, he got Anthrax's State of Euphoria. Cool. And that had just recently come out uh, at the time. So I go back to that State of Euphoria album, that being my first introduction to the band. Now, a lot of people, you know, especially nowadays, younger kids can't appreciate this, but it's something that you guys have discussed and plenty of people that are in our age group, you know, late 30s, early 40s. Um, when you got into a band back then, the first thing was, let's find out if one of my buddies has another album, you know, buy the band so yeah. that we can either copy it or let's save up and buy, you know, their back catalog. So I went from State of Euphoria and started going back and sort of piecing things together. So Okay. So that, with that in mind, I thought we would just basically go through the history of the band, go album by album, like kind of like we did with the uh, Judas Priest discussion. Yeah. And, you know, Anthrax is formed in 81 – Basically by Scott Ian and Dan Loker, and he named Loker according to the what I read named the band after seeing it in a high school biology book because he thought it sounded sufficiently evil. Um, it is sufficiently evil. <laughs> and one thing I didn't know about this about the band early on the drummer the original drummer was Greg D'Angelo who would wind up in White Lion, mm. and um, before Charlie Benante would be brought in Dan Spitz who was previously in Overkill and Neil Turbin in '83. And some of their early shows were sharing the bill with Metallica around the New Jersey and New York area. And um, an early demo of Soldiers of Metal is produced by Ross, the boss of Manowar nice. in 82. And then they sign with Megaforce. And Lilker is fired shortly after the release of Fistful of Metal, which is the first album we'll talk about, due to his lateness, sloppiness, and unprofessional demeanor. And he would go on to form Nuclear Assault. Um, and then Frank Bellow is brought in. And then, this, I guess the songwriting partnership between Scott and Charlie led to Neil being fired. And Eddie Trunk claims that he pressured Johnny Z and Anthrax to fire Neil due to his dislike of, his, of the vocals. Did Eddie Trunk wield that much power to where he got Neil Turbin fired? Do you think that, Victor? I, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I can honestly say uh, I've been an Eddie Trunk fan since I was 13 because he got his... Well, actually... He got us started a, a local high school radio station. Mm -hmm. um, I became a big fan of his because he did the Friday night spots at a local radio station called WDHA, which is still, you know, out there. And he used to do the um, uh, Friday night metal news during Metal Mania. And, um, and I mean, he's always had interesting guests on that he would bring on. And when I read that, you know, he's always talked about his ace connections. And I know a few things about that. Um, I don't know. Maybe he 
mentioned it to the band or maybe he put it in in their ear you know i don't know he's and you gotta you know that eddie trunk was tight with johnny z you know and johnny z was you know yeah. signing these guys to megaforce you know if eddie trunk didn't like neil turbin eddie trunk's not one to hold his opinions to himself you know i'm sure he put it out there yeah, I guess he did work for Megaforce as well. So I mean, it is it is plausible that that, you know, that that took place. I mean, yeah. But I, I don't know. I, you just, know, I listen to some of that early Anthrax, and I don't think the guy is that bad. No, I don't either. I don't. He's not bad talent level wise. I don't know that he fit quite right. as well as Belladonna ended up doing. Yeah, I think I like Belladonna better, but you know, still, I don't think Neil Turbin was bad for the band at that time. I have Neil following me on Facebook, and he sends me messages every now and then, so I'm going to take the politically correct way out of this. <laughs> yeah, but you saying you're taking the politically correct yeah. way, that's, uh, that speaks volumes. <laughs> um, l- let me put it to you this way. Uh, I've listened to every album start to finish once we started finally broaching this episode again. Yeah, this, is, this, this episode is about two years in the making. Right. <laughs> right, two to three years, maybe. Yeah, probably. Yeah, it was early on. I said I want to do this with you. Yeah, but um, yeah, I, I here's the thing: if you listen to certain of these certain songs off of that album, done by De- Belladonna, he takes the songs to another level. I'm not saying that Neil is a bad singer. I think he was brought in for. You know, them trying to definitely get a Judas Priest type sound totally. yeah. out of out of that album. Uh, I think if you listen to something like Howling Fury's Live mm-hmm. or Metal Thrashing Mad Live, I think Joey makes the song his own and really takes it somewhere else that Neil didn't. Yeah. Not to say that it's better or worse. I just for my personal opinion and my musical palette, I prefer Joey singing those songs. Um, Not to say that that holds true with all of the material that the band has put out, which I'm sure we'll touch upon later on. But um, I I I don't know. And and the thing is, when you hear say Scott talk about Neil or, or things like that, they're always very dismissive about him and have always said similar to what they've said about Dan Nelson. Oh, well, it was just a hiccup and, you know, it was, you know, here and gone real fast, you know, like it almost didn't matter, you yeah. know, what Neil did, you know, in the band, which, you know, I, I guess sucks to an extent because it isn't, uh, like Priest's first singer or ACDC's first singer who are still going out there as, you know, the original lead singer of ACDC. Right. You never recorded, well, you recorded a single with them, you know. Neil Turbin actually recorded a full album. Yeah. Banthrax. So. And I think you, it's a, I think it's a pretty good album. I mean, it's um, an, an interesting thing about it. Malcolm Dome, who's a pretty famous journalist from Kerrang! did, he, uh, made the reference thrash metal while he was talking about the song metal thrashing mad which is kind right. of the, the birth of thrash metal and also i think the the guitar playing on this album is great yeah it is and the solo in the song panic i think is one of the best solos in any anthrax song
I love that solo. And Loudwire said it's in the number 25 de- best debut metal album. It has a lot going for it, which is another thing that irritates me that Charlie and Scott are, are so dismissive of it because, yeah, I know they came into their own with Belladonna, but they can't. I don't think it's fair to ignore this album because for a debut album, it's a pretty strong record. I, I think this comes back to, and, and unfortunately, as much as I love Anthrax and they're one of my all-time favorite bands, top five, <laughs> without a doubt, but they have a lot of... Uh, ways of approaching things like Gene and Paul do, unfortunately. I think instead of seeing this album and saying, you know what, this is our starting point. It isn't the best that we did, but it was something that we put out there and we built upon it. You know, it was almost, you know, the cornerstone of what the band would become. They've always been dismissive about the album. Yeah. The The one funny thing that that I sort of found when listening back to the album you guys are mentioning the solo for Panic. Yeah. But Charlie's playing is very different on this album compared to every other album that came out mm-hmm. after this. I know he was only playing with one Tom at the time, and he's claimed early on, um, had he not have switched to three Toms, he would have given up playing drums for Anthrax hmm. and would have played guitar in another band or, or whatever that he just felt sort of stifled it's funny listening back the one track where i think his playing really shines and it really you get a few little like tastes of what was what was to come from him is their cover of alice cooper's i'm 18 if you listen to that there's really a lot of stuff that he does with the floor tom and different things that are really indicative of what he would do in the future yeah that's a good one. That it was the start of them doing awesome covers because they're they've always written so they've done so yeah. many good covers. They're cover masters. Yeah, they are. And then you know Neil Turbin gets fired, and then they bring in a guy named Matt Fallon as a temporary replacement. And this is an interesting character because they appeared as a four piece build as the Diseased with Scott Ian on vocals for a while, and they they performed a few hardcore covers, and Fallon would be let go, and then of course Anthrax would go on to success. And then, at the same time, Fallon would later on join a band called Skid Row briefly before a guy named Sebastian Bach is brought in. Uh, so how much? He's like the relief pitcher. How much of does rock. it suck to be Matt Fallon? He's he's there, uh, Tony Donato. Oh, that close to success two times. Yeah, I mean that's just heartbreaking. Yeah, because you're there and then you're gone and then they blow and then up. They blow up. <laughs> and then you're there and they're going and then you're gone and they blow <laughs> up. You know. So and then Belladonna comes in and he makes his live debut with Anthrax in February of '85. They released the Armed and Dangerous EP. Same producers as Fistful, which was Johnny Z was one of them. And uh, Turbin and Lokler had a hand in the writing for all of these songs, so it's still old material. Belladama kind of aped Turbin's style on this record. I don't know. Th- this, this one's a pretty cool EP, but uh, I didn't think until they got into spreading the disease that they come into their own. I mean, what do you guys think? I think spreading is really the first album to really show what Anthrax could do. And it's amazing that they went really from an album and an EP and were able to do that. A lot of bands take, in a lot of instances, three, four albums to really, okay, this is our style. This is who we are. It really is a testament to what, you know, musicianship they have within the band, I think. Yeah. And and not to mention the fact that, you know, you're going through all these personnel changes at the same time, you know, and still trying to piece it together and feel its feel your way out. Again, like you said, you know, the early stuff with Neil Turbin kind of, you know, Judas Priest-like. Yeah. And then even that EP is kind of Priest-like in a lot in a, the few of those songs, but it's yeah. with Joey singing, but he's still trying to, to do that school. other thing. Yeah, yeah, it's that old school trying to do the, the new wave of British heavy metal kind of thing from a New York-type band. You know, it really wasn't working for them. But then Joey Belladonna comes in, like you say, by the time spreading disease comes together, they've really solidified what anthrax is. Right. Without a doubt. And and the other thing that's crazy to me is that they recorded that first S.O.D. album at the same time as Mm -hmm. spreading the disease. Wow, I didn't know that. I never really put that together. That's amazing. Yeah, basically, they had extra time. Um, Charlie and Scott were done with their parts. Uh, Billy Milano was their roadie, 
and they brought Dan Lilker in somehow. I don't recall exactly how he came back into the mix. And they recorded that during the remaining time that Spreading the Disease was being recorded. They probably told him to come in during the time they were recording Spreading the Disease, and he actually showed up after it was over, 10 hours late, and they said, well, okay, we'll record this. We've got extra time now. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I love that SOD album. Absolutely. It's great. So, you know, we're on to Spreading the Disease, which comes out on October 30th, 85, recorded at Pyramid Sound Studios from Megaforce Island. Um, Armed and Dangerous and Gung Ho are the last songs to be have fe- feature songwriting from Lilker and Turbin. This was funny to me. This shows that MTV's changed over the years. Madhouse is released as a single, but the video is banned from MTV because it's degrading to the mentally insane. <laughs> <laughs> because reality TV that they helped spawn wasn't, you know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's, no, that's degrading to the mentally sane. Right. <laughs> uh, and then Johnny Z um, gets a partial songwriting credit on Medusa. Um, this is not my favorite album of the band. I, I It's okay. I don't, it's just, I don't know. It's there's just, some bright spots on it. There's though. bright spots on it, but I mean, I, honestly, I I think I like metal. I think I like Fistful of Metal better than I like this one. Yeah? I know. It's just, I don't know. I don't, what do you think, Vic? Uh, in my opinion, um, and this could be because I listened to this before Among the Living. I'll actually take Spreading the Disease over Among the Living because I think there was still a certain rawness uh, to the band. There was still just something there that um, that just sort of draws me into this album. Tracks like AIR, Lone yeah. Justice, you know, they're, they're just awesome tracks. Um, and I guess it could also be due to the fact that by the time I got to Among the Living, um, I had already known the big tracks off of the album. So it was almost less of a surprise to me than um, than spreading the disease. So, you know, a lot of times I like to point out that music means something to you because there's an emotional connection between an album, between lyrics, between songs to a certain place in time and, and whatnot. Um, to me, Spreading the Disease, receiving that album, uh, was actually given to me. Just, I don't know, just uh, was a very special album to me, and I actually like it a lot. I honestly did not get a chance to get either Armed and Dangerous um, or Fistful of Metal until the John Bush years, so that's... By that time, you know, I was working, had money, could go out and uh, and purchase those. But up until then, I, you know, didn't have them. Yeah. And you mentioned a- uh, AIR. I think that's my favorite song Is off it? that album. I love that tune. Oh, well, yeah, it, it absolutely kicks ass. And they go, they they do it. They tour behind spreading the disease, and they're opening up for Black Sabbath. But they only get four dates into the tour because they had to cancel because Glenn Hughes has uh, vocal issues. They had some ir- issues with touring during these days, and then. They attempt to tour Europe in April of 86, and it's canceled because of the Chernobyl disaster. And uh, the European tour resumes later that year with Metallica, but then guess what happens on that tour? It gets cut short because of what happened to Cliff Burton. So, like, a lot of unlucky touring during this period for the band. And although I would have killed to have seen... Not of their own doing, either. Yeah, I know. It's, It's all just, you know, circumstances... I would have killed to have seen them and Metallica play back to back in those days. In those I mean, days, oh man, it would have been awesome. Um, but then the the next release, which isn't an album, it's an EP. This is this is how I got into Anthrax, and it was the I'm the Man EP that came yeah. out January of '87, produced by Anthrax, Eddie Kramer, and Paul Hammingson. Certified platinum. The title track is one of the first rap metal songs. One thing I didn't know till I started researching on this, and I feel like a dumbass for not realizing it was the guitar riff for based is based on the melody of the Jewish folk song Hava Nagia, which I never put together for some reason. Now, if you think about it, you're listening at home, you think about it, think of the songs, they're the same. Did you know that, Vic? Absolutely, I knew that. I don't know how I never noticed that. <laughs> I, I grew up in the, in the Northeast. There, yeah. there are two things yeah. that we a lot of. Is Jewish people and Italians. That's true. So, um, Havana Gila, and, I, and being a, a big time hockey fan, for Havana Gila's always played on the organ during hockey games. 
you know, um, it, it was easy to put two and two together there. So <laughs> I never put it together. I don't know why. But and then the the chorus's lyrics are borrowed from one of Taylor Negron's lines in the Roddy Dangerfield movie Easy Money. Absolutely. Uh, rather than using a sample, the lines are performed by Frankie Bello. Um, and then there's samples of Metallica, Run DMC, and the Beastie Boys included. The band's wearing hip-hop gear on the cover of the album. Yeah. And it, it's a funny album. And I remember, you know, the song was so funny that I would ride around with my brother and his older friends, and they would play it in the car. And I felt like I was getting away with something right, because totally. it was so dirty, you know. Like you had something that, you know, your parents right. like, I got the cassette off a kid. I bought it off a kid on the bus. And uh, I felt like, you know, when I got home, I had to hide it so my parents wouldn't see it or wouldn't hear it. And I'd sneak it down and listen to it and laugh my ass off and be like, this band is so awesome because then it's got that, them songs. Yep. And it's got some other really good songs well, on it. Yeah, and that also was, this was also my introduction to Sabbath, too. Because see, I knew Sabbath before I did. this. This was, like I said, you know, 84, I was getting into hard rock and stuff. And then around this time, I started getting into the more of the old school st- metal and stuff. And their cover of Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath, with the little sweet leaf tag on the yeah. end. I mean, I forget about it. I loved it. I mean, it was, it yeah, was, I mean, it was yeah. a, this EP, it was only an EP, but it was a big deal to me for that era. Me too. What about you, Vic? It, it's actually their biggest selling release out of their entire Crazy. catalog. I don't doubt that. That's wild. So it's, it's actually a very important album when it comes to them. Uh, again, something that Eddie Trunk introduced me to. Uh, not personally, but he played it on his show. And I remember hearing in one week and thinking, what the hell was that? <laughs> and just laughing my ass off listening to it, and I'd never heard anything like it. Oh, it was original. And, yeah. Yeah, and I remember the following Friday, I had to have a tape ready because, you know, if he was going to play this song again, I needed to, you know, tape the song. And yeah. I remember that, with his show, a lot of times what I would do was basically record and then pause it when he would come out to talk. And then that way I would sort of copy any track that I liked onto another cassette. I remember I stayed up really late, recorded the track, and was going on a ski trip the next day. And remember listening to this song over and over and over again on this three-hour bus ride up to the um the ski resort that we were going to so um i absolutely love the track and about a year later i remember listening to it or talking to my friends about it and going on a i don't know some trip either to washington or something was the typical uh middle school thing to do for us in new jersey and one of my friends had the entire tape so it was Listen to this. You're going to love it. And listening to, you know, the live uncensored version and, you know, the other takes on it, listening to Sabbath's Bloody Sabbath and everything else was just um, was just awesome. Um, my last sort of really big deal memory, and it's really not a big deal. It's just a, a sort of a, a dumb thing that um, it always reminds me of. Uh, as a kid, one of the years that I was coming over to Spain, I was listening to some tape. I don't know if it was specifically this or if it was a mixtape or not. But I'm sitting in the airplane, and right as the riff starts to come in for Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath, the plane starts to move at the same time, and I'm like, ah, perfect timing. You know, <laughs> One of those things where it just seemed like the planets aligned, and I always remember that. So Cool. That's cool. That's very cool. So March of 87, on the following the success of I'm the Man, among the Living comes out on Megaforce Island, produced by Anthrax, Johnny Z, and Eddie Kramer. Yes. Uh, the title track, one of my favorite album openers. Um, I still think we need to do an album openers episode. We ought to. Yeah. Uh, certified Gold uh, in July of 1990. The video for Indians got a ton of airplay on MTV. Yeah. And um, which helped the band break through. The uh, now here's the here's the thing where Dick and I are gonna. I don't know if we'll disagree or not. The, for, from what I read, the album cover features Reverend Henry Kane from the Poltergeist series. Um, and you think it was based off the flag character from Stephen King's The Stand. I have always heard that it was the character from The Stand because Among the Living refers to the story The Stand. Right. So why would they have a character based on 
you know, uh, Poltergeist, which they had zero tracks associated to Poltergeist on the album. Why would he be on the cover? It just doesn't make sense to me. But, but then Char- again, Charlie's denied it, though. I mean, he said he I wasn't thinking about the stand when I had the idea for the cover. But that's what Wikipedia says. I mean, yeah. are you reading Wikipedia over there? Of course I am. <laughs> it's accurate, right? Totally. I mean, <laughs> totally is. Well, and then they they got into really writing stuff about characters because, like, you know, I am the law is about Judge Dredd. I like that. Which is a great song. Um, NFL is about John Belushi's drug addiction and death. That's another you great know, song. Nice fucking life. Um, the album's dedicated to Cliff Burton. Caught in the Mosh is ranked number 29 of VH1's 40 Greatest Metal Songs. That's my favorite song on the album. Oh, is it? I Caught love in the Mosh? Love it. Number 62 on the Billboard 200. Off of I'm the Man, though, you would have thought that this would have blown up bigger than it did. Uh, I think it probably didn't because I'm the Man is so different to Among the Living. The album is hugely popular. I mean, they did a tour a few years ago where they played the album front to back. And I was introduced to a lot of these tracks, the bigger tracks like Indians and, um, and Cotton Amash. Uh, by the great old KTEL uh, compilations that they used to sell. I don't know if they, they sold those down there in the Nashville area. Oh, yeah, KTEL was, was here. Yeah. yeah. So um, I was introduced to those tracks then. Like I said before, you know, I knew a lot of the more popular tracks due to MTV or due to you know, different friends of mine having these compilations and copying them for me. Uh, so the album was less of a surprise. As a result, my favorite track off of the album is NFL because just the you know the 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 opening riff to that and just the way that the you know choruses and everything it just I don't know it just has always caught my attention. To this day, it's my favorite track off of the album. Hmm. Well, it was an interesting touring cycle. They end up touring Europe with Metallica and Metal Church to promote the album. And then in March of April of 88, they opened for Kiss on the third leg of the Crazy Nights tour. Wow. And of, of all tours to open for Kiss, Crazy they picked Nights. that one. And, um, wasn't, wasn't that the album that uh, introduced you to Kiss? It is. I love it. But I'm picturing <laughs> Anthrax opening up for Kiss playing Reason to Live is kind of a strange... Yeah. Con- I'm, I'm imagining fans must have been really scratching their heads seeing Anthrax up there doing I'm the Man. Well, no wonder attendance was so low. Anthrax come out and scared everybody away, scared all the young girls out of the crowd. Yeah. Listen, I hope you guys didn't unsee. My voice is messed up, so I actually... (laughs) Listen! Paul Stanley, uh, you know, 2014, not Paul Stanley, 88. Yeah, you you sound like Paul today. uh, (laughs) (laughs) Folks, I hope you enjoyed Anthrax. Yeah, although you know, for Anthrax, those guys were pissing themselves be with happiness sure. because they're opening up for their idols, you know. But um, heck yeah! So then, State of Euphoria comes out September of '88 on Megaforce now of Megaforce Island Records, produced by Anthrax, Mark Dodson, Alex Perellis, John Zazula, and Marsha Zazula. It's a family affair on production here. Um, recorded this one was recorded in Miami, Florida, reaches number thirty on the Billboard 200, certified gold in '89. The song "Who Cares" wins. Uh, deals with the plight of the homeless and antisocial was uh, those two songs are released as singles with videos. Uh, Mr. Misery Loves Company is inspired by a Stephen King novel. Now It's Dark is inspired by Blue Velvet. Yeah, I like that song. Make Me Laugh is based on Jim and Tammy Faye Baker. Remember them? Yeah. <laughs> um, sold over 650,000. This is Charlie's least favorite album. 
Really? And and Anti-Social is a trust cover song, which is probably my favorite song on the album. What do you guys think of this album? I did not even know that was a cover. State of Euphoria is actually my least favorite album by the band. Do you agree with Charlie? It's it's actually the album that introduced me to the band, but I also think that the band was sort of caught between a rock and a hard place. They had sort of forged two different paths. They had I'm the Man, which was hugely popular, and they released Among the Living, which a lot of people still consider it their most classic album uh, I think they were sort of caught between both and needing to deliver something that was you know off the cuff sort of funny um, and the album instead of progressing I mean you can see from State of Euphoria I'm sorry from Spreading the Disease to Among the Living there was definite progression between one to the other when they got to State of Euphoria it seemed like the band sort of hit the brakes and tried to go a route that sort of captured, you know, uh, something that they hadn't done before. It seemed like up until now they were they were sort of setting a trend. Excuse me, setting a trend. Whereas after, it seems as if they almost jumped on a bandwagon and sort of almost parodied themselves to an extent, in my opinion. Uh, I love the song Be All End All. I love the song Now It's Dark. Yeah. But after that, I mean, there isn't too much of that album that I can go back and listen to on on a consistent basis. Like, I sat through the album for the first time in maybe 10 years. Yeah. And, you know, there are some tracks off of it that I think are just, God awful. The production also isn't the greatest, and uh, not to correct you there, Chris, but it's Alex Perialis. Oh, thank you. (laughs) God uh, knows we here at the Decibel Geek Podcast need help with pronunciating names. Yeah, we do. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, looking back, it really, I think it's the one big gaping hole where they just sort of sat back and made a, a, a mediocre album. It isn't horrible. But it isn't up to the standard of what they did before, and definitely what came after. Yeah, maybe I agree it's with uh, that. maybe it's the fault of recording it in Miami. Maybe they're out on the beach too much. But that's what Maiden was doing. Maiden was recording, you know, in the Caribbean. Uh, ACDC had recorded down in Miami, and yeah. you know, these guys are all about, you know, doing what Maiden, Priest, ACDC, and Kiss did. So. You know. Well, then why did we not get a power ballad on that album? <laughs> I'm surprised. For well, the time. who cares? Wins is sort of, you know, yeah, that's kind of. The, if, if you look at it, although their their first official ballad came, you know, in the John Bush era. So yeah, and we'll get to that soon. Um, they tour. Yep. They end up touring the U.S. with Living Color. That's an interesting bill. I'd be happy. I'd like to see that. And then they did the Headbangers Ball tour with Exodus and Halloween. Nice. Um. And then in 89, they do the MTV contest for Anthrax to Trash Your House, which would go on to inspire a uh, television appearance on Married with Children. Yes, I remember that so well. I was so excited to see that. <laughs> see, seeing, uh, was it uh, Scotty or Dan Spitz sitting on the, the amp waiting for them to come in the, the living room? I mean, I, <laughs> I don't remember the episode off the top of my head. There are just a few glimpses that I do remember. But uh, I remember at the time that I needed to see it because, of course, it was Anthrax and they were going to be on a show that I really was into at the time. So Yeah, I remember being very excited for it when it was with the commercials leading up to it. Yeah. And then they, they eat the mystery meat that's in the fridge. Scott <laughs> <laughs> says, wow, the colors. <laughs> the mystery meat. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed that, that period. They, I mean, the thing about Anthrax during this time was – you know, a lot of metal bands took themselves very seriously in this period. But even Metallica, you know, there wasn't any humor going on. Anthrax bought a healthy dose of humor to thrash metal. I like that. You know, they they were they'd wear surfer shorts. They'd have the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles painted on their guitars, and you know, the Joey would have a stupid Indian headdress on. I just 
I thought that I thought that they brought a level of showmanship that not a lot of other thrash metal bands were willing to do, and a little fun too. Yeah, they were willing to look like idiots on stage, and, but I mean, it was always entertaining. Yeah, I, I think that they took. They've always taken their music more or less serious. They've taken their trade serious, but they've known how to stand out from the rest of the pack. I mean, it's obvious why. You know, the, their music and the band itself is still able to tour today because they were able to, you know, not do the same old, same old, which so many other bands did. And that's why you remember Anthrax today. I do want to also add that uh, Scott Ian was in a Living Color video back then. He so was. that's where that tie-in sort of started. They did a, um, a cover of the Bad Brains track, Sailing On, and that was done at the old CBGBs in New York. And it was a black and white video. And all of a sudden, the, the camera pans during the video. And you see Scott with a backwards Yankees cap just sitting there, you know, headbanging during the track. So, Wow, I never saw that. Check that out. Uh, and then, you know, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. In August of 89, they released Pinnacle Fessen, which is backwards for a nice fucking EP. Oh, yeah. And uh, I have it. Oh, yeah, and uh, released on Island, Megaforce Island, um, produced by Anthrax and Mark Dotson. It's mostly um, covers and songs from other albums. Uh, now it's Dark from State of Euphoria, Antisocial, the French version. Um, Friggin' in the Riggin' from the Sex Pistols, the Pipeline cover by the Shantays, and one of the best cover songs they ever did was Parasite by Kiss. Yeah, see, I didn't. I never had this. I had the, uh, the Killer Bees with a lot of those songs on there. Right. This would be repackaged later on, basically, yeah. with other songs. But, uh, it, I mean, it's a cool little EP, and that yeah. the Parasite cover, Charlie's drumming is just incredible on that. And Sex, too. I, yeah. I really like that song. And Pipeline is awesome. Yep. I remember yeah. playing Pipeline for my dad and being like, "Check this out," because I was yeah, always trying too. to, I was always trying to find a way to connect with my dad without, you know, because because he was a rock and roller, you know, listen to Sabbath and stuff like that when I was a kid, and so I'd always try to connect with him through my music, and Pipeline was a good way to do that. I was like, "Check this out," you know, and he was like, "You know, that is pretty cool for an old timer to be able to say that's pretty cool. That's something." Yeah. Yeah, th th this was something that I actually picked up on vinyl when it first came out because it was released over here in Europe, and I saw it, bought it instantly, and I remember when Attack of the Killer Bees came out, I was so pissed because for the longest time, I was the only one that I knew that had, you know, all of these tracks that were unreleased. Yeah. And, you know, it's one of those deals where I have this special album and no one else has it. And, you know, I have these tracks and I'll give it to my, you know, closest buddies. I'll record it for them. But, you know, I won't record it for anyone else. You know, screw them or whatever. And You're then right. it comes out and everyone can buy it. Yeah. Or you know, or whatever. So it was like, you know, you bastards. What'd you do? You know, you screwed me over here. But, I used to uh, be special. I used to be somebody. <laughs> <laughs> You're a hoarder. <laughs> So 90 comes around. They get into the 90s with Persistence of Time. Um, yes, this is my favorite Anthrax album, I think. Recorded at A&M and Conway Studios in Hollywood and Soundtrack Studios in New York. Produced by Anthrax Mark, Dodson, John, and Marsha Zazula. A large structure fire causes the band to lose more than $100,000 worth of gear in their recording studio in January 90. So they moved to a different studio in late February of that year to finish work on the album. There's less humor in this album and comic book references. It's it's a darker sound. Yeah. Um, definitely more progressive in sound. There's darker a lot of, in content, too, it, I think. And uh, it's less thrash influence. It's actually more complex, like with time signature changes and stuff. The last full album to feature Joey Belladonna reaches number 24 on the Billboard, Billboard 200, certified gold in 91. Lead guitar tech Paul Crook, who you would, we will talk about later on. Um, and Rhythm Guitar Tech was Mike Tempesta, who would later go on to work with Power Man 5000. Oh, yeah, that's right. Um, it's a cool album. It's definitely darker. I kind of miss the humor that they put out on other stuff, but it, it's, uh, it didn't get the greatest reviews. People didn't seem to really like the darker content. I liked it. But, it, uh, but the, the people that like it really like it a lot. I really like it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the belly of the beast is a great song oh yeah belly of the beast uh keep it in the keep family of course time got the time yeah it's an amazing album i love it this is my favorite album from the original joey period it just yeah. again it emotionally connected with me uh a track like in my world 
where the intro with Scott Ian talking. This is uh, <laughs> this is my uh, it's the law of the jungle. If you've got the hunger, uh, okay, John. Part. Yeah, <laughs> um, the, the keep it in the family where he says, uh, um, "Man, you're going to jail. I'm already in jail. Don't you know that my life's just one big hell?" And then the song kicks in. Uh, those words. You know, this album came out when I was in high school. So those words just resonated with me as someone that lived in a very strict household where I couldn't go to shows, where, you know, my folks were sort of, you know, um, teetering on whether what I was listening to was satanic or whether it wasn't, whether I was spending too much time with music, whether this, whether that. So a track like that, always spoke to me a track like time yeah. blood i mean keep it in the family which really you know jumped out from uh, the live rendition that they released later on and belly of the beast like you guys mentioned is is a great track hate red was always a, a, another one that yep. i absolutely love off of this um other tidbits that i want to add to this john tempesta who's played with a million people, including Exodus and um, Testament, and he's now playing with the cult, was the drum tech at one time hmm. in Anthrax as well. Um, I believe he was in the band before his brother Mike was. And the other item that I did want to mention, um, which has just slipped my mind, the brain fart all of a sudden. I, I, I was ramping up to it, and I forgot it, damn it. That happens to me all the time. Well, thanks for the uh, audio blue balls there, Vic. <laughs> oh, oh here, here we go. I got it. I got it. I got it. He's got it. Don't worry. He's got it under control. I got it. And not the audio blue balls. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Never heard that on one of your shows before, have you? Or ours. <laughs> no, there, there, there you go. Um, Dan Lorenzo of the band Hades claimed the following during an interview that I did um, if you go to my website, MarsAttacksRadio.com, and you search Dan Lorenzo, if you search one of the various interviews he's done with me, he claims that Anthrax ripped doing Got the Time off from his band Hades. Really? He claims that his band, Hades, was doing this track live, and around the time that Anthrax was recording Persistence of Time, He ha there were members of Anthrax seeing them play at, I don't know if it was Lemoore's in Brooklyn or some place in New York that they were playing in, and he swears that Charlie and Scott were out there in the crowd when they played this track, and a few months later, there you go, Anthrax had got the time on Persistence of Time. During the interview, he says something to the effect of not being a fan of the band as a result, and oh, blah blah gosh. blah. So, but it's a it's true a or not. right. It's, it's a, a cover, cover song. <laughs> well, you got to imagine the poor guy's up on stage. He's rocking out, doing this really cool cover of an obscure song that nobody knows. No rock and rollers know who Joe Jackson is, you know. Well, and all of a sudden, well he, all of a sudden, he looks over there, and there's a couple of guys with from Anthrax with light bulbs over their heads. Well, you know, and they tear off out of the studio and be like, "Ah, oh, I got this great idea." Yeah, but I mean, is anyone complaining that somebody else played War Pigs before they did? Well, no, but you got to understand, like, if they said, you know, if if that's the case, you know, and those guys ran right back to the studio and said, hey, we got to do a cover of this song and put it on our album because a rocked out metal version of this song is killer. And they, that's no lie. It really is, you know, but yeah, that's a chance you take playing it live, I guess, you know, and Anthrax, they put it on the album. And now I don't think of Joe Jackson. I sure don't think of Hades. I think of Anthrax when I hear that song. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the thing is, with um, 
war pigs like you mentioned, Chris. I think it's more of a you know a, a staple within the metal community. Whereas, as Aaron mentioned, you know maybe people know you know a few uh, you know maybe they know stepping out by joe jackson that needs a uh, metal cover <laughs> well I, honestly speak. though you know got the time is the first time i've ever heard of joe jackson and when i was younger i didn't even know it was a cover song yeah i i, I was i mean not to say that i was a big fan but thanks to how radio was at the time you know i knew um stepping out and is she really uh, going out that, with him uh, that no, a, that one I I didn't know. The, I the other one, one is um, uh, "Got the Time" comes uh, the, the title track off of the album that "Got the Time" was on. I think it's "Look Sharp" or yeah, "Look or Sharp." Well, did you know there's another song on that album called "I'm the Man"? Oh yeah, we talked about that once. Yep. Kidding. So, now Joe Jackson has a song called "I'm the Man." See, and even at the time when I figured out it was a cover and it was Joe Jackson, I even thought it was Joe Backhand Your Children Jackson. <laughs> I thought it was the White Sox player from the early 1900s. <laughs> No, no kidding. So, um, so that <laughs> next up is '91. Uh, they do the collaboration with Public Enemy on "Bring the Noise," which gets plenty of attention, and yeah. goes on to be released on Victor's favorite album, "Attack of the Killer Bees." It's probably my favorite rap song. The album. I mean, we don't have to spend a ton of time on it. It was a compilation album with uh, B-sides, covers, and rarities. I loved it. It was. I think. I think that's the first Anthrax, I guess, cassette at that time. That I actually, other than buying the cassette off of I Am The Man off a kid on the school bus, but I actually went to the store and spent my own money on it. Because, like you said, I, I didn't have the, the EP that came out a few years earlier. I'd never heard Parasite. That was my first introduction to it, and I had to have it. One of my favorite parts on this album, the short but sweet Chromatic Death. That's a SOD cover. There, there's several Yeah, yeah we've played that song. On yeah. The well, album we did, when we did it, we did the Chromatic well, Death faded into milk which right. was super cool on the show it came out great yeah we did uh, and i um i'm the man 91 what are y'all's thoughts on the remake of i'm the man no thank you i can hear your fucking radio you, you stupid, stupid shit, shit. Yep. yeah <laughs> <laughs> or the other part on that album did you think that was stupid ramsey don't ever put your fork on my, my plate. plate i don't, I don't like, like that, that shit, shit. <laughs> what's yeah. that from is that from runaway? from runaway that's what i it's thought one of the guys in anthrax quoting uh gene simmons nice yeah that's what i thought when it said ramsey it's like that's got to be from runaway yeah yeah so, the, the funny thing about this is uh, if you guys aren't aware of uh, there's a, a college station in new jersey actually called wsou it is the uh, radio station for Seton Hall. It has been known for the past 30-some-odd years as being a metal station. Well, <laughs> metal-slash-Catholic uh, radio station. So. <laughs> they, metal. they play a lot of Striper. Uh, well, <laughs> yes. Um, but they've broken a lot of bands, especially bands from the East Coast and bands from New York when... The Bring the Noise single came out when it was shipped to them. I remember, you know, working my first job and hearing it over and over again. It was, instead of being Nickelback <laughs> or yeah. Bush for your local stations, um, that would it be was Bleep Bring out. the Noise. So they, they were getting so many requests that they were playing this like every other hour. Um, I suppose this is a chance for white people to feel cool, too. <laughs> or for, for white people to come out of the closet, per se, to say like, that they like rap music. I listen. So, I'm cool. I listen to rap. I own an Anthrax album. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so I remember before Attack of the Killer Bees came out, this was on the radio all the time. It was the number one requested track for months leading up to the release of Attack of the Killer Bees because it was released a few months earlier. I don't remember, you know, how much earlier it was it was released. Yeah, I mean and and this was this album I would actually say was the gateway for a lot of people to um uh, that I know to to listen to Anthrax because they heard me playing this to death. So I definitely know that this is the first album that really hooked my brother into Anthrax. Uh, my wife into anthrax, uh, other people in my family and friends that, you know, heard me l listening to tracks off of this and said, who is that, you know? And 
<laughs> they went out and either bought it or had me copy it for them. So yeah, and you you, you mentioned earlier about the first Anthrax ballad coming later on in the John Bush era, but we forgot and NFB. What a sweet love ballad. A heart so full of pain But we fell in love again This time forever True love prevails over all She got hit by a truck <laughs> Yeah she got hit by a truck. That's so funny. Oh, that made me laugh my ass off because it was so indicative of those, you know, my ways type songs, you know, like Kiss and and like the, those type love ballads that were so popular at that time. And, you know, leading the, the way it was played and everything, you know, without it being a joke, that would have fit right in oh, with totally. all them other songs. Yeah, and it's yeah. funny, though, because it's, it's not. No, it's, it's anthrax. Not. It, but it fits right in with all that stuff. It's written well. Ironic. Well, the, you know, and I thought they were kind of going on a high note with the, you know, the, the collaboration with Public Enemy and everything. And, and then out of nowhere, Joey Belladonna's fired in 92, and the band leaves their record, con, you know, ditches their record company. What's the story with that? Why, after all these years and all this success, would they boot Joey Belladonna from the band? And, and actually, it happened in the opposite Secession to, to what you mentioned, or the opposite sequence, I'm sorry. They sign with Electra, get this huge payday, and within a week or two, fire Joey from the band. So it was really weird because everyone was expecting this big, huge you know, album from them. I don't remember if the Black Album was already out. Yes, the Black Album was out because I was still in high school. I think I was a junior in high school when that came out. Yeah. And I remember hearing only uh, two years later. So there, there was actually, what, a, a few years between um, Attack of the Killer Bees and, uh, yeah, to, to your gap, right? Between that yeah. and Sound of White Noise. So. All right, so there you have it, Anthrax Discussion Part 1, the early years, and we've covered quite a bit already. Yeah, I mean, it was interesting to go from kind of the change from you start out with a straight-ahead straight ahead kind of new wave of British heavy metal sound with uh, Fistful of Metal, yeah, and then we finish up the Belladonna era with them recording with Public Enemy. Right, yeah, so, it's a, what a strange full circle that's been. And then they fire the guy right, right so, as they're getting popular. Right, so the, the adventure with Anthrax is just getting started, and like we said, we're going to be back for part two of this, but it's going to be way after Kissmas in July, which yeah. starts next week. Yeah, sorry for the delay for you Anthrax fans, but uh, enjoy some Kiss while, uh, while you wait for that. And uh, before we go, I want to make sure I give Victor some nice plugs. Yeah, because Victor was so awesome. It was such an integral part of this show being awesome. Because, like we said, you know, when we do something like this, when we're talking about Judas Priest, we go to a Judas Priest expert. When we're talking about anthrax, we're going to go to an anthrax uh, expert, and that's what we had in Vic. Yeah. And he was so cool to come on the show, and he does his own shows, you know. And yeah. he's so you thought he was great on Decibel Geek. Wait till you check out him doing his own thing. Yeah, I've and I've been listening to this to his show since I started podcasting. He was one of the people that got me into this. Uh, that's Mars Attacks, the podcast. It's go, go to MarsAttacksRadio.com, and he also helps host Talking Metal. So just go to TalkingMetalDigital.com. You all know who they are. They the were a big, big influence on us. The Godfathers of rock and roll podcasting, right? Yeah. So thanks to Victor for doing that. And, hey, as we're going into Kissmas in July, we might as well have Anthrax doing a little bit of Kiss. This is Anthrax doing Parasite. Nice. And let Kissmas in July begin. Happy holidays. Did you think I was stupid, Ramsey? Don't ever put your fork in my plate. I don't like that shit. Love. One, two, three, four. <laughs>